Welcome to the Greystone Church Podcast. We are grateful that you're here and taking time out of your day to listen and grow with God. We pray that God will speak to you and you will experience His amazing love through this message. Let's take a listen. Well, I tell you, if you thought that was good, wait till the song at the end. It'd be better if I didn't say anything and we just brought them back out. They did a fantastic job in the first service. Yeah, and I've heard the message, so I can say that. So, uh, hey, I'm Mark Hanley. Um, I'm one of the newest members of the Greystone Church, and I'd like to welcome our Monroe and our Coney campus. Today, we're starting a new series, um, and it's about the names of God. So for the next seven weeks, we're going to look at the different names of God. But um, when, I, when I was asked to do this, I started thinking about how we named our children, and then I started to think about how my parents named us. And so in our family, there's five of us kids. You got Mary, she's the oldest. You got Mike, Mark, that's me. Then you got Matt, and then you got Glennie. His name's Glenn, but I call him Glennie. But, um, and I can explain that in a bit. But it was interesting when I started thinking about it, I was like, okay, my sister's name is Mary Francis. My dad's name was Francis Gerard Hanley, and my mom's name was Mary Jane Hanley. So she got both mom's and dad's first name. Um, then my older brother, he's Michael Gerard. He got my dad's middle name. My name is Mark Joseph. I'm named after my mom's grand, uh, my, my grandfather, her, her father. Then you got Matthew William, and Matthew's named after Grandpa Hanley. So then you get Glenn, and I, and I know it sounds funny, but um, my sister has already had three, she already had three brothers. She wanted a girl in the worst way. So my parents let her name Glennie. Well, I don't know about it. He was born in 1970, True Grit. Does anybody remember True Grit? I know most people don't. I, I do. Um, but True Grit was going on. Glenn Campbell was a star, and that's how Glennie got his name. But his middle name's Leo, and he's named after one of my uncles and also one of my grandfathers. So the names are significant in, in my family, and they are in the Bible also. But then Kelly and I, when you know, we started having kids, even the way we named our kids had some significance to it. Kelly, she has a tradition in her family, all the girls have two E's. Like if you spell Kelly's name, it's K-E-L-L-E-E. -E -E. Then we had a daughter, Keelan, and her name is K-E-E-L-Y-N. We have songs that go with all these. Um, then you got Kinsley, which is K-I-N-S-L-E-E. -E. So that's been a tradition in her family for years. And then we, um, then we had a boy, and we named him Canaan. And I thought we named him Canaan because we finally had a boy. The promised land had arrived. So I was excited about, you know, the boy. But... My sweet wife, who's much more spiritual than I am, she said, no, Mark, we named him because God blessed us with another child because we had a miscarriage in between Canaan and Kinsley. So there was some real significance in Canaan's name. I thought it was just we finally had a boy. So, um, so then we have another child, and he's a boy also. And so when you have a son who's named Canaan, there's only one name for that next kid. He's CJ, Caleb Joshua, the two spies that went into the promised land and came out with the good report. So it was real easy for us to decide. And just like the names in my family, which I never, I mean, me and Kelly I thought about, but I didn't think about my immediate family, um, they have significance. So do the names of God in the Bible. So what we're going to do is we're going to look over the next seven weeks, we're going to look at different names of God in the Bible, what was going on that time, and what those Bible, they describe a character of God. So we're going to have some fun. We're going to put the names up on the board, and we're going to see if Mark, me, can pronounce the names because it gets kind of fun. So I've got this one this week, and this one I can do, Jehovah and Yahweh. So they gave me the easy one, you know, and it's the self-existent one. And then Jehovah Jireh, I got that one down pretty good. The Lord is our provider. 
The next two are going to be fun for y'all. So you, you guys sit there, and that is um, my son Cain, and he was trying to get me to say, Dad, that's three syllables. Um, and I said, that's Jehovah, and I just said Sabbath. And he said, Dad, it's three syllables. And I said, so I have no idea how to pronounce that, the Lord of our hosts. Then the next one, it seems easy, Jehovah. Josh Fraser said, Mark, say it fast, they won't know. Mechadishkim. And so I've learned how to say that word fast. So you guys don't know if I got it right or I did not got it right. But that's the Lord who sanctifies. And then you got Jehovah Nissi, which is the Lord is our banner. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. And Jehovah Ra, the Lord is my shepherd. So that's what we're going to cover for the next six weeks. And hopefully you'll get to know God in a way that you did not know him previously. But before we get to that, you know, I started thinking about what Jehovah and Yahweh meant. And so what I did is I looked for some much smarter people than me. And um, I got some definitions of that. I, it was John MacArthur, Warren Wearsby, Nathan Stone, K. Arthur. These are some Bible study folks that I just have some respect for. So I looked to see what they would say. So I stole this definition from Nathan Stone. And this is exactly what Nathan says. We must think of Jehovah as the beginning who is absolutely self-existent. The one who himself possesses essential life, permanent existence. And so his description was absolutely self-existent. And then I, read, I wrote down what Kay Arthur wrote after in one of her books. It said, when you need assurance that God is there keeping his promises, never changing, even though you have wavered in your promises to him, run to Jehovah. Trust in his name. I can't change because he can't change. He is Jehovah the same yesterday, today, and forever, K. Arthur. So when I was reading those definitions, I was trying to come up with my own definition of God, of Jehovah. What would it mean to me? And this is what I ended up writing down. I said, it is the God who existed before existence existed. And I say that again, the God who existed before existence existed. And what that meant to me is, is he's always existed. There's no beginning and no end. And that's something that is hard for us to understand, certainly hard for me to understand. So um, the name Jehovah was used in Genesis, but where we're going to look at it, we're going to look at it at Exodus. And one of the things that I learned about this, in Exodus, this is the first time they recognized him as the self-existent one. So it's interesting, it's Exodus, it's chapter three, it's verse 14, and it said, God said to Moses, and I just picture God's voice getting loud here, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me. So once again, this is, this is the first time they'd recognized God as the self-existent God. It's the first time Moses understood it, and then eventually the Israelites came to understand it. So I guess my... Some of my goals today is to just talk about the name, but also for you to realize Jehovah's real, and Jehovah wants to have a relationship with us. Jehovah is already prepared to handle everything and anything that we bring to him. And when I said that, when I was writing that, I thought that again. Think about that. There is nothing we can take to Jehovah, Jehovah that he does not already know. And then I wrote, so why wouldn't we take everything to him? So I'm going to give you a little background on this story um, because it, it starts a good ways back, and we're going to eventually get to Moses um, and his responses to God. But the way this thing starts out is you got to remember that you know Joseph, his brother, sold him. He ended up in Egypt, and he became very powerful. And so what has gone on is over the years, that relationship between the Israelites and the Egyptians is fading. In fact, the Egyptians feel like the Israelites are becoming too many. And so Pharaoh comes up with the great idea to kill all the male babies, all right? 
And once again, that's, a, that's an example of God, you know, man trying to do things God's way. Well, the maidservants, thankfully, the maidservants were God-fearing. And they knew the command that they were getting was wrong. And so they did not. They literally told Pharaoh that the Israelites' lady birthed so quick, we can't get there in time. And really what they were doing is they were just being obedient to God. And we're not going to talk a lot about that, but that's another great example of when authority tells you to do something that's wrong. You don't always have to do it, especially if it goes up against God's will. So, so you got that. So you got the maidservants that aren't willing to do that. Moses' mom has a baby, okay? She's able to keep him hidden for a little while, but after a while, he, she can't hide him anymore. And so they come up with an idea. They're gonna take Moses. They're gonna put him in a basket. They're gonna put him in the Nile where Pharaoh's daughter actually bays. And so Moses' sister watches the whole thing. She, she's over here. So Pharaoh's daughter finds her. The baby's crying. She wants to keep the baby. She sees uh, Moses' sister, who's an Israelite, and she said, take this to the mid, take her, him to the midw- midwives and have them take care of him. So Moses actually ends up going back to his mother who gets to take care of him for a while. And that's another picture of God's sovereignty. Those are things I just saw in this story that I thought were important. What does Moses' names mean? It means to be pulled out or drawn out, drawn out of the water. So Moses grows up in Pharaoh's household. All right. He has everything that you could want. He's got everything at his fingertips. And um, he's watching the Israelites get mistreated by the Egyptians. So he sees an Egyptian and an Israelite fighting. He goes out and he kills the Egyptian. Pharaoh hears, hears about it. He's ticked off. He's going to kill Moses. Moses splits town. So Moses heads out. He ends up in Midian. All right. He ends up by a well. And there's these ladies who are trying to um, get their sheep watered. And some shepherds are harassing them. So basically, he goes over and he helps the ladies. He literally gets the shepherds out of the way. He helps them get their flock watered. And then next thing you know, they go back. They go back to their dad. Their dad's name is Jethro. I don't know why that's important, but their dad's name is Jethro. And he basically said, how did you get back here so quickly? And they said, this man, he came and he helped us. We'll go get this man. So he goes back. They get Moses. Moses hangs out with him. He ends up marrying one of the daughters. And... Um, one of the daughter's names is Zipporah. At my house, we, we debated whether it was Zipporah or Zipporah. Zipporah won. My wife and kids won, so I lost that battle. But she ends up marrying him, so she ends up staying there, and he ends up being a shepherd. So he's out there. He's watching his sheep. Then he has the burning bush experience, all right? Take off those sandals before you're on holy ground. And then this is where we're going to pick up here. And my goal is to look at five ways that Moses responded to God. It wasn't good. And just make sure we're not responding to God the same way Moses did. So we're going to be in um, Exodus. We're going to be in chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 9. And so, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh. And this is God talking. So go to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out? Bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of our fa- your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name? What then shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you're supposed to tell. That is what you say to the Israelites. I am has sent me. 
So God said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, once again, that's Jehovah, the Lord, the God of your fathers and the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered for generations to generations. Kay Arthur wrote in her book, when, God's, when God said this to Moses, she's referring to I am, his people understood for the first time the significance of Jehovah, and it meant that Jehovah had been, even though Jehovah had been used earlier. So as we go through this, even though the name has been used earlier, this is the first time they realize God is the self-existent one. So most, most of us don't think God has time for our stuff because somebody else's stuff is bigger. And what I want you to learn today that he does have time for our stuff. Do you realize the relationship God had with Moses is the same relationship that we can have because of the Holy Spirit? Yeah. I mean, so you look at what Moses had with God. We as Christians, if we accept him as Lord and Savior, we can have the exact same relationship. So what I'm going to talk about is, for pretty much the rest of this time, how do we respond to God? We're going to look at Moses and how he responded to God. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to crack on Moses a little bit, but I would tell you Moses got it right eventually. He got his people to the promised land, okay? And so, uh, but I'm also going to look at what he did in the beginning. I believe all Christians have a particular calling. And, and, I, and I believe that, and don't get me wrong, I think these relationships are important, but I think as an individual, you have a particular calling. I don't know what it is, but I know, you know, it's not our spouses, our parents, our brothers, our sisters, our friends, our small group. You're being called to do something that only you can do because of the way God has made you. And so, so let's take a look at how Moses responds to God as God is trying to get him to do the one thing that he wants him to do. We're going to look at five different examples. What I learned from the first service is that I went a little too fast on the notes and they couldn't write them down. So I'm going to try to go slower this time. I probably won't. So good luck. All right. <clears throat> well, you, you get up here and do this, okay? You're going to talk fast. <laughs> All right, Exodus chapter three, verses 10 and 11. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? His first response, who is asking Moses to go? It was God. Are you kidding me? And Moses is asking, who am I that I should go? I wonder if we ask the exact same thing when God calls something for us to do. I mean, has God laid something on your heart that you're supposed to do and you're giving me excuses just like Moses? So my first point was um, that I'm a nobody. And that's the, that's the first point. But before, and this is what I wrote down. Before you decide you're a nobody or you're not good enough, let God decide what you're qualified or unqualified to do. Remember, it's not about you. It's about God. He wants to receive the glory, not you. So many of us think our past disqualifies us from God using us. Our past certainly affects our future. I'm, I know that personally. But our past affects our future. However, believe me, our past, not, no matter how good or how bad, can keep us from God using us. I think it's important that you understand that. When, when you're a Christian, it's a totally new game. Even scripture says that. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It's a short verse. You're going to have to turn quickly. So it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. 
When you become a Christian, the old is gone. Yeah, there's consequences, but you're free from that, and you don't have to let that control you. So if you're a nobody or not good enough, then you're perfect for who God wants to use. So point number one, I'm a nobody, all right? The next one this, we're gonna talk about in the Israelites' the responses, I don't know your name, is Exodus chapter three, verses 13 and 14. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of our, your father has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell him? Tell them. This is where I think God is getting frustrated with Moses. We read this a little bit earlier. God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is who you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me. I thought, man, what a reply. I am who I am. I am the self-existent one. I am the beginning and the end. I am the omega, um, the alpha and the omega. Do you know him? If you don't know God as Jehovah, Yahweh, Alpha, Omega, then I would love to talk to you after class. After class? Really? <laughs> it's the guy behind me, I promise you. I, I, didn't, I didn't say that in the first one. All right, you like these need to realize that the great I am wants to have that relationship with you. Um, do you recognize God as I am, as the beginning and end? Do you recognize him as a creator of all things? I would tell you, if you haven't put your trust in him, let's talk after um, service, not after class. Let's talk after service. So Proverbs chapter three, this is the verse that I put for this one. It says, this is, this is my life verse. When I was going through a cruddy time about, I don't know, it was 30 or 40 years ago, a long time ago, I remember opening up the Bible and I, and I, I think I went right to this verse. That's what I tell everybody. So hopefully I'm not lying. And I pointed to it and I thought I found a verse that no one else in the Bible knew, but it's Proverbs 3, 5 and I found out everybody knew it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Man, you, all you were asking you to do is just trust in I am. So my first point was, I'm a nobody. The second one, if you're not sure they know who I am, if you're not sure that you know who I am is, then I'd love to talk to you after service because that is our goal. So number three is that we're gonna go to the fourth chapter of Exodus. We're gonna go to the first verse. And Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me? The Lord did not appear to you. Uh, I'm gonna tell you, people won't believe it is you. Of course they won't believe. This is what I wrote down. I started thinking about just a couple people in the Bible. Paul, he went from a killer to a crusader. There was people who didn't believe him. I mean, one of my favorite characters, and not everybody knows this dude, is Shamgar. I don't know if you know Shamgar, but Shamgar is a judge in Israel. But he started off as a farmer, and then he became a judge and saved Israel. Then you got David, the youngest of all the kids who's not supposed to be the king, becomes king. So, People aren't going to believe. What about Rahab? People aren't going to believe what she did for Caleb and Joshua. Um, so you got people that will not believe you. We spend too much time thinking what others will or will not believe and not enough time just being obedient. You're not responsible for them believing. We're responsible for the obedience. I always tell people we're not in the results business. We're in the obedience business. We're supposed to follow God, the results are left up to him, not up to us. And we got to get comfortable with that because we are result-oriented people. God is looking for obedience, not results. We, we worry too much about what others think. Trust me on this one. As I stand up here today, I got a past. I got stuff. And some of y'all know it. I mean, some of you don't. 
Um, but we're not, once again, in the results business. Remember, God qualifies the unqualified. That's the topic of my um, sermon is God qualifies the unqualified. Look what they said about Jesus. This is interesting. Go to Matthew. Go to the 13th chapter of Matthew, and it's 54 and 55. It says, coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in the synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get the, this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? And this is the doubting part. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? If you go a little bit further, it says they took offense to him. They, you, you are not believable, but it's not your point to get them to believe. It's your point to share. So once again, first, I'm a nobody. Second, I'm not sure they know who I am is. And third, I am not believable. It's not your responsibility to get them to believe. It's your responsibility to be obedient to God. All right, so the fourth one, it's in, once again, it's in still in chapter four of Exodus, and it's in the 10th chapter. And it's, Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And we're going to look at a verse in a few minutes that kind of just contradicts all that. But what I thought I would do, I thought I'd let my wife explain this point to you. This is my wife, Kelly. And um, I'm just going to turn the video over and then I'll talk about it. So go ahead and watch this. Mark and I have four kids. I was working as a counselor when we got married, but when we started having kids, we both felt like I should stay home. So I did that for about 16 years. And during that time, God kind of laid on my heart that I should learn Spanish. Um, I had taken Spanish in high school and didn't do well. So um, I said, okay, God, I'll start learning. So I used every online free resource um, that I could and started uh, just asking people and, and watching YouTube and doing lots of things to kind of learn Spanish. A friend of mine said, hey, um, there's this school that my kids go to and they need a Spanish teacher, why don't you apply? And my response was no, um, because this was a big private school and I'd come from a little one. And if you look at my resume, there's absolutely no reason why I should be a Spanish teacher. There's nothing on there. Um, and she said, well, just do it. And I thought, okay, you know, I'll do it. If God wants me there, then I'll be there. And if he doesn't, you know, that'll be it. Um, got an interview, which surprised me. And I had to go in and actually teach and they had to watch me. And um, I did it. And they hired me, which was just, just kind of blew me away. There is no way I can go into that classroom without God. Like I can't even begin to do this in the flesh. So every morning I am on my knees saying, okay, God, you've got to go with me because I don't have the ability to teach what I'm teaching. And God does it. So I've been there for six years. I'm now the head of the foreign language department. That's bizarre. Um, but the really cool thing is I love these kids. And so I have to rely on him every day. And I love that because, you know, it has nothing to do with me. I don't have that skill. And I get to love on these kids. And I get to get involved with these kids. And I get to share Jesus with these kids. Well, it's pretty, yeah. 
I know she's my wife, so I can do that. Yeah, it, you know, believe it or not, she went to Purdue. She graduated there. She went to University of Georgia. She has a master's in social work. And then she stayed home with our kids. And then God called her there. And, and the whole point is, I just don't think, you know, Moses was saying I'm not an elegant speaker. Well, she would tell you that she wasn't really great in Spanish. But God's equipped her every year to what she needs to do. She takes master level courses now in Spanish. I walk into the room and I have no idea what they say. I, I, I can say C. I got that, so I, I got that down really, really well. So, um, but my point is there, is this, if you go to Acts 7.22, this is what they said. You remember, Moses said he wasn't good at speech and tongue. He wasn't an elegant speaker. But you go to Acts 7.22, and this is what it says about Moses. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. That blew me away. So I don't know what he was saying to God because here in Acts, they're talking about how strong he was and that he was powerful in speech and action. I believe you don't know what you can do with God doing it through you. I think that's what we learned through Kelly. That's what we learned. If you go to Luke, you go to 137, it says, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. All right, so first point, I'm a nobody. Second, I'm not sure they know who I am is. Third, I am not believable. Fourth, I'm not a great speaker. And you can put any word in there for speaker. I'm not a great leader. Whatever the word is that you're struggling with, you put it in there. I mean, it, it, could, it could fit you, but she's not a great speaker. All right, the last point I, I have is, is from Moses, and it's, four, and it's 413. And this is Moses once again saying to God, this is the fifth time he's given God an excuse. So if you think your kids are a pain, look what Moses is doing to God. Your kids probably aren't that bad after all. But it says, but Moses said, oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it. Well, duh, someone else could do it better. And so when I was thinking about this point, I was like, well, let's take a look at, and he's not here, so we can really pick on him. He's at the first service. But let's, let's look at Jonathan. I mean, you know his background? Mississippi, tennis, jock, all that kind of stuff. I mean, is he really the one that you're going to pick? I'm watching, you know, I'm trying to watch bowl games on Christmas, and Jonathan's on my TV, it seems like, almost every commercial. I finally called him, what's going on? Well, we got some ads. I said, obviously. But I mean, you're sitting there. I bet you people in Mississippi are turning on the TV and go, is that Johnny Howes? Is that the one who struck out Brett Favre? I mean, I had to get that in here for him, I know. But I mean, can you believe that? He's on the World Wide Web. That's the internet for you younger kids, I guess. Um, but, um, you know, I, I just wonder what people in Mississippi are thinking about him. And I do think someone else in our minds would probably do it better. But once again, God qualifies the unqualified. I'm just telling you. So if you're a nobody, that's okay, all right? I'm not sure they know who I am is. That's not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to share. I'm not believable. Who cares? Share, all right? I am not a great speaker. I put beside that one, are you sure? I don't think you know what you can do until you allow God to do it through you. And the last one is, I am not qualified. Well, good. Because if you're a nobody, not sure who I am is, not believable, not a great speaker, and unqualified, then you are perfect for God to use you. God wants people to look and say, is that Johnny Howes preaching? Is that Kelly Hanley teaching Spanish? I don't know about you guys, 
But Josh Frazier up here, you guys, you haven't heard the, I mean, that was great. Wait till you hear the last song. But we got Josh Frazier up here leading music. Are you guys surprised? I had no idea. I think Josh has surprised himself how good he is and what he's done. So you're the perfect person, and God wants to qualify the unqualified. Once again, I've cracked on Moses a bunch, and I don't want to be too hard on him. He made the hall of faith. He's got almost the second most verses. He got his act together, and he did it right. But I was trying to think of you know, how I was going to close this. And um, I, I thought about it, and I've always, for some reason, Nancy Reagan, and you guys probably don't know who she is, but we had a president named Ronald Reagan years ago, and um, married to Nancy. Um, I'm a little old. But she had a slogan about drugs, and it was, just don't do it. I mean, that was her slogan. And it was so simple. Or just say no, I mean. I'm sorry, she just, just say no. And so um, then I got thinking about, well, what am I asking you guys to do to God? I'm asking y'all just say yes. That's all I'm asking you to do. I mean, really, that's, that's as simple as it can be, you know. Um, and so when I was sitting there, and I, I was actually at the rehab unit with my dad yesterday, and um, he had to go away for some rehab, and so I was just sitting there. And for some reason, God laid this on my heart, so I was just going to share it with you guys. If you're new here, a couple weeks, we want you to sit, we want you to soak, and then split, you know. Feel the, get a feel for us. Is this the church for you? But if you've been here for like four or five weeks, I guess what I'm trying to say is we, you know, we want you to come and sit, but we want you to serve. And then we want you to be part of a small group because there's so much that we probably aren't saying yes to because we haven't tried it. I'm just asking you to try it. So the, the, the last, my application is, what is Jehovah Yahweh asking you to say yes to. I would challenge you to write it down. I mean, we, we need help in our children's department, our youth department, our small groups. There's everything. We need ushers. We need greeters. Everything. And those are easy things. Easy, hey, that kind of stuff. But I mean, you know, <laughs> we got some easy stuff. But we need small group leaders. So I would tell you that there's something I, I really believe this. There's something God wants you to do. If you've been here a couple weeks and this is your church home, he wants you to do something. I don't know what that is, but that's what I'm asking you to write down. And then I'm going to ask you just to do it. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that we have a Jehovah that we can go and worship. We, we thank you because you're the self-existent one. The beginning and the end. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you are the great I am. What's even crazier is that you want to have that personal relationship with us. And so, Father, I just pray. I don't know what it is that you want these folks to do today, but you do and they do. And so I pray if you're speaking to them, Heavenly Father, um, let them write it down and act on it. If you're not speaking to them, I just pray that you encourage them just to try something and just see what you can do and see what you want to do. Father, I love you. I thank you for their faithfulness. Thank you for them being here. Bless this week for them. We're going to ask all in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more messages or info on Greystone Church, feel free to go to our website, greystonechurch.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We look forward to connecting with you. We hope you have an amazing day, and we'll catch you next week.